Well, good morning. Uh, let me add my welcome to everyone that's here this morning. We're continuing this week, uh, chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, and we're considering uh, this third question that the Church of Corinth has given to Paul, and he's going to be responding to that today. But before we, before we go into today's passage, uh, would you pray with me that God would speak to us specifically today through his word? O oh Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hand hath made, I see the stars, I hear the mighty thunder, thy power throughout the universe is displayed. Lord, we come to you because you are great. You are majestic. You are the only true God. In fact, you are the only God. We come to you this morning because you are God who speaks. We come to you this morning because we are a needy people. Lord, we need you this morning. We pray that you would help us to hear through your word. Help us to be built up, encouraged to be testimonies of your grace. And Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be pleasing to you, my God, my rock, my salvation. It's to you that we bring our hearts in anticipation for change. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, well, hopefully I convinced you last week that questions around eating food offered to idols actually pertains to us. You nearly just kind of set me the side last week and just started thinking about your plans for the week but hopefully you saw that there was a there was a tangible practical application uh, for us from paul that addresses questions like these that we face today so how is it this is the question we were trying to answer last week how is it that i can resist the current of culture there is a wisdom that is from God. It, in fact, is kept in this revealed word, the Bible. But oftentimes, we don't turn to it. Oftentimes, we set it aside. Our culture tells us it's irrelevant. In fact, it's outdated. It no longer speaks to the real issues that we face each and every day. There is a man's wisdom, a man's knowledge, that has risen in our culture, almost like a stream that we find ourselves being pulled along into and looking for our hope. But at odds with that is the reality that we do have true wisdom, a revealed knowledge, a word spoken by God himself. How will we respond? How will we resist the temptation to allow this book to sit on our shelf during the week and collect dust? 
Is it relevant? Today we're going to be looking at that same question again. But this is the third question that, that Paul is addressing here in chapter 8. We, we saw that in chapter 7, he started this response. He had two questions in chapter 7 that he was looking at, and it starts with these little words, now concerning the matters that you have written. So Paul is addressing questions that they have. In fact, things that the church in Corinth were identifying as things that were right, but seemed to be wrong. Things that were right, but seemed to be wrong. What do I mean by this? Well, chapter 7 addresses two things, intimacy in marriage, and secondly, getting married in the first place, those that were betrothed. And today, it's about eating meat. Three things that were acceptable, considered right, and yet the church of Corinth were saying, it seems like they're wrong. It seems like we should abstain. So there was some confusion. In fact, chapter 8 starts off by saying, now concerning this food offered to idols, we know that. And we see that that gets repeated a few times. There is a knowledge, there is an understanding, there is a fresh interpretation of all of these things that are going on today as they were going on for the church of Corinth where they were wondering in these troubled times, in these times where people were weak and ill, in fact, people were dying, there was persecution, there was famine, there were many things on the news ad addressing their attention. And it seemed like they were adding to the problem because they were doing these things and it was taking away. It was, it was, it was an understanding uh, of, of how they needed to be more dedicated to the gods. They needed to eat this food or stay away from this food. There was a knowledge that they possessed, an interpretation of what was going on that they were adapting. Do we do this today? Do we have this Christian faith? But then when, the, when we really look at the problems of this world, we quickly tack onto it a plus. We quickly want to add onto it, yes, this is good, this is foundational, but for the practical things in my life, the really hard things, I need to go somewhere else. I need to add something else into the mix. Well, this is what the Church of Corinth was doing. They were observing, they were identifying the problem, they were seeing what worked, what didn't work, and they were educating each other. In fact, there was people standing up and saying, I've got the solution, follow me. And that's what the church was doing. In the beginning of, of Corinthians, it talks about some were following Paul, some were following Apollos, some were following Cephas, some were following Christ. There was these divisions. There was these different ideas of what was right and what was wrong. In fact, the knowledge had gotten to the extent that these people were being puffed up they were looking at themselves as being the ones that understood 
even more than the foundation of their faith, even more than these truths that we hold on to and call so dear. But I tried to convince you last week that this kind of knowledge is incomplete. This kind of knowledge that puffs up only has a short-term fix. Do you remember our little story that I told last week about the water on the floor in the kitchen? If you weren't here last week, imagine this as a parent walking into the kitchen with three facts, three things, a jug of water, a fridge, and children. (laughs) Well, when you have those three combinations and you see water on the floor, you come to conclusions quickly, don't you? Well, oftentimes as parents, we come to conclusions quickly. Sometimes they're right, sometimes not so right. And I wanted to tell you last week, be careful. You've only seen a snippet. You've only seen a fraction of the total picture. In fact, I was trying to help you to see as Paul, there is a more excellent way We're missing the point. We're missing the point completely. Well, in verse 2, it says that this knowledge not only puffs up, but love builds up. And if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. We don't yet know as we ought to know. There's a better way. There's a a knowledge, a revealed knowledge. In fact, in verse 6, I said there's a, a yet there. There's a very strong yet that says, listen up, consider this, consider this truth, this knowledge. And in verse 6, it says, yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. God is not only the one that we should be turning to for real knowledge, a perspective, but God himself, is the one that understands the origin of our life. He understands the beginning as well as he understands the end. Because it's from him, through him, and to him that all glory is bestowed. This love that first knew us the details of our life. And that's what verse 2 was about last week. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Then verse 3, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. This was where we ended last week. The knowledge that God is one. There is only one place you can turn for help. The God who is 
from the beginning, everlasting, and the one that gives us hope for the future. This God is the one he has known. In verse 3, he has known. God knew us beforehand. God initiated this relationship. God reached down and intervened, took the heart of stone, turned it into a heart of flesh. God initiated this relationship. He gave his life, came and dwelt among us as a human, as a God, fully God, fully human, went to the cross, laid down his life, took upon himself our sin, exchanged for that, giving us his righteousness, raised to life through the resurrection, and currently is seated at the right hand of God. He reigns. He begun the process, he sustains the process, and he is the goal of this process, this plan of God, redemptive plan. Because of him reaching down, because he knows us better than ourselves, our response is to love him, to love others. So last week, that's where we were. It says, this knowledge, this love, it builds up. This is the kind of love that Paul is asking us to have. A love that's foundationally built on a rock, Jesus Christ. In fact, as we are in this current that is pulling us away from him, attempting to draw our eyes off of him, we need to plant our feet down on this solid rock. We need to hold on to the anchor that is actually holding on to us, Christ. In fact, we said in our little, little story last week, the reality is when we saw the water on the ground, it wasn't the fridge, it wasn't the jug of water, in fact, it wasn't the child that we didn't mention. Well, we did mention his name, sorry. <laughs> it was something bigger than that. It was a broken pipe in the attic that we couldn't see. That was the source. We needed to call for help to know the source of the problem. In fact, we needed to call for help to understand the damage that it was causing to the ceiling and the wall. So this really is our first main point, and that's why I've done so much reminding us of last week. This chapter really, I believe, is laid out into three parts. We need to know God, to summarize last week. We need to know God. This is our foundation, this is our rock, this is our anchor, this is our understanding of what is true. It gives us, through this re revealed word of God, the story of humanity, how it began, where it's headed, God's intervention. 
how we've turned away from him, how he turned towards us. In fact, he's redeemed us. So what do we do from here? What is point number two? If we need to know God, verse seven is where we're starting today. It says, however, however, this is the same word that you found in verse six, the big yet. The however is a big however. It's to get your attention. It's a kind of like in bold print. However, not all of us possesses this knowledge. The reality is, some of us don't quite fully understand. Now, you might find yourself in one of three categories today, the way I see it. You can look at this revealed word and it doesn't make any sense. In fact, Jesus said that this gospel, this truth, will seem to us, if we're Jews, in fact, a stumbling block. And to those that are Gentiles, it will just seem like foolishness. You might be coming here today saying, you know, I go through difficult things. I'm not sure what you've gone through this last week. This last week has been very interesting for us. Some really exciting things. You might have noticed that there's a new child walking around. Well, not quite walking around, but Hugh and Paige are delighted to see new life. But some of you might be experiencing hardship this week. Some of you might be thinking, life isn't that great and going through something very hard. Perhaps you haven't even shared it with others here. This is what life is like. God is not a God who's giddy, happy all the time. God is a God of joy, of love, of compassion. God understands both the joy and the pain. He sees our life often better than we see it ourselves. But you might be in that category of either looking at this for answers and it seems, it seems like foolishness. Or perhaps you are early in your journey as a Christian. God has awakened your desire. In fact, he's given you the Holy Spirit to see truth. And the Bible has come alive. And yet in your life, it just doesn't speak that way to you every day. Mornings, you might wake up and turn to a particular place in the Bible. Perhaps you're like Asaph in the Old Testament. In fact, in the book of Psalms, many of these are prayers. Many of these share from the perspective of someone in the Old Testament early on in history where they wrestled with 
what they knew was true, yet what they saw around them. So this second category might be you today. You don't necessarily have to be new as a Christian to experience this. I experience this all the time. Psalm 73, listen to these words and perhaps make a note to maybe this next week have a read slowly through Psalm 73. I'm just going to highlight a couple of things, but it starts off by Asaph, a leader in the church, saying, truly God is good to Israel. I know what is right. I know what is true. I know what is good. My doctrine is settled. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw their prosperity of the wicked. For they had no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek, and all their troubles, uh, and they are not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind, and they do this. They wear their pride as a necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. In fact, their eyes are swollen out through fatness. He goes on to explain that he knows what is true, but when he looks around at this world, it just doesn't seem like it's working. The people around him are getting away with everything. They don't acknowledge God. They don't lean on him for guidance. They don't restrict themselves. They're all about them, their, their, their own interests. In fact, they're prideful about it. They're getting along well in life. They're successful and everything is going their way. Asaph sees this. He knows what is true, but he's challenged by it. In verse 16 of chapter 73 of, of Psalms, it says this, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. He tried to figure it out. He spent some time in the Word. He talked with a few of his mates. But it was seen like a wearisome task. It didn't seem to connect the dots. It wasn't encouraging at the time. But verse 17 says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. For Asaph, he decided to go to church one more time. Give it another go. Not give up. And when he came into the sanctuary, when he was with God's people, when he heard God's word spoken afresh, his heart recognized, this is the perspective I was missing. I was looking down. In fact, I needed to look up. I needed to see as God sees, not as I see. And it ends the psalm by saying, But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell 
of all your works. When we make God our refuge, when we trust him in his plan for our life, when we turn back to him, when we hear his word, when we place ourselves in, in the, um, yeah, the atmosphere <laughs> of other believers that come alongside of us, encourage us, point us back to God, it helps us to see as God sees. In fact, it carries us through the hard times and we look back with a testimony of his works. How well do we know ourselves? This is the second point. We know that it's important to know God, but how well do we know ourselves? Verse 7 again says, However, not all of us possesses this knowledge, but some through former associations with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. What do we bring with us? What do we carry along with us for this journey in today's world? We often bring with us more than God has given us in his word. We love to add to it. We like to have a few other things that kind of help us out in case it doesn't work. There are things that we just naturally have seen in our life that seem to work, so we're going to keep those just in case. This is what the church of Corinth was doing. They were bringing along with them these things that seem to work. They were convinced by others that were saying, you're getting ill, you're getting sick. In fact, some are dying because you're not treating this food that's offered to idols in the right way. This is the reason. How well do you know yourself? What other things do you look to for help? What other idols are in your life? In fact, Paul says in verse 8, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. It's not these extra things that we place in our life that commend us to God. They seem so real and tangible and it feels like they work. But the reality is we're looking somewhere else, looking to something else beyond God and his plan. Well, the church of Corinth was doing the very same. How do we acknowledge in our life the things that we carry alongside of us how do we recognize that these things, in fact, as Paul describes, as a conscience that is weak, how are these things defiling us? Well, what is a weak conscience anyway? What is our conscience? Have you ever thought about that? I think the first time I really thought about our conscience 
was I was watching Finding Nemo. And he was like, are you my conscience? I don't know if you know the movie. If you don't know the movie, it's a little bit of a distraction right now. But our conscience, it's the thing inside of us. It's our mind that says, okay, inwardly, I'm making a decision based on what I know. We make moral decisions all the time. We have this conscience that seems like it can choose between right and wrong quickly. In fact, we can walk into a room, meet someone for the first time, and already make a decision about them. This is the person that I want to be friends with. This is the person I think is a little bit quirky. This is the person I just want to avoid full stop. I don't know if you make those kind of decisions in your mind. Paul says, be careful. More than we realize, the decisions that we make day after day after day are not just based on God's truth, not just based on God's character that has become our character, but it's this plus thing. We have with us a whole bunch of other things that we consider things to evaluate what is right and what is wrong. In fact, in our culture today, how often do you hear the terms, uh, there is no wrong answer? Have you ever heard that before? <laughs> I was in a, a couple of courses the last two weeks, and I think I heard that statement maybe 30 times. No exaggeration. There is no wrong answer. Now, on the, the thing that we're talking about, they're probably right, but it seemed like they were suggesting something over and over and over again. There really isn't today an absolute truth. Have you heard that before? Paul is saying, be careful. You, you're having something happen to your mind. In fact, it's defiled, Paul says. It's dirty or corrupted. It's kind of like a blend of things that are helpful and things that are unhelpful. Things that are kind of true and things that are half true. And we, think, we, we, we find ourselves getting a little bit confused. Have you ever wondered when you got to a decision, okay, this is a moral decision. It should be clear, right and wrong. And yet you find yourself questioning it. You find yourself questioning it. Paul says, be careful. It's easy to happen. Think of what we read earlier about Asaph. When you turn away from the truth that you know is absolute. You look around and you observe this world. You listen. You see things that seem to work. Before you know it, you've been drifting in this culture, this, this stream, this current. 
Be careful. In fact, Paul will say in other places, renew your mind. Be careful that your mind doesn't get corrupt. In fact, take off, put on. There's many different things that Paul says to do to actively fight against this. You might say to yourself, Roger, I still haven't gotten it yet. What do you mean? I don't understand. Know yourself. What does it mean to have a moral conscience that's confused? Okay, I have another story for you. As I was looking around the house, there's something in our house that's confused. Very confused. You would think, come on. It's an animal. They don't get confused. In fact, it's a dog. A very cute dog, by the way. Our little golden retriever, Holly. We got her when she was a pup. We made life very simple for her. We only gave her, I don't know, maybe a half dozen commands. Sit, you know, give, <laughs> paw, I don't know. There was, like a, there was like five or six things. Stay, she really likes to stay if you have food. But there was, there was a simple life for Holly. Simple commands. Simple expectations. We had one rug in our house. Just one rug. The rest is tile. We don't care if she goes on the tile. All we care about is, don't go on the rug. It's a small little rug. We just want to use that rug to kind of escape the animal kingdom and have our own little kingdom where it's clean. There's no little pieces of fur. She sheds like crazy. It's a nice place for people to kind of come if they have kids. They can go on the little rug and Holly doesn't bother. But what happens? What happens? Not everyone's on the same page when it comes to the commands. Not everyone's on the same page. In fact, each of us in the house have our own expectations of Holly. And Holly knows it. In fact, if you're one of the kids... Not, not highlighting anything this week. But if you're one of the kids, in fact, on the rug is a good thing. It's an endearing thing. You're watching something on the telly. She's there next to you, keeping your leg warm. It's ideal. It's perfect. In fact, Holly is a little bit confused. And sometimes at night, she finds herself all cuddled up in a little ball on the rug. Well, when I come out in the morning, all I have to do is start walking down the hall. She immediately hears somebody's walking. She recognizes who it is, and what does she do? She gets off the rug. She leaves immediately. But she's confused, very confused. <laughs> Poor thing. She's actually a very nice puppy. This is what happens in our life. We get confused. We listen to so many different people. We don't even know, like the church in Corinth, that right now seems wrong. In fact, the church in Corinth even had the opposite true. They saw things that were wrong and considered them right. In fact, that's what was reported to Paul, and he spends the first six chapters talking about 
This is, I can't get my head around it. I feel like Paul would say, you have men sleeping with their father's wife. He's hearing reports about the church being divided. They're making much of men and little of God. What is happening? What is going on? This is what the church of Corinth was going through. But knowing yourself, knowing the truth that you use to sort out right from wrong, your conscience, recognize how easily it can be defiled. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 9 says, But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block for the weak. Not only do we know God, and we need to know ourselves. Thirdly, we need to know others. We need to know others. In order to know God, we need to draw near to God. We need to read His Word. We need to understand His Word. We need to implant it in our hearts so that it does impact our mind and our decisions and help us to live out his expected life as a follower of Christ, as a Christian, as one that has this treasure in jars of clay. We need to stop and reflect and consider ourselves, how we drift, but we also need to move near and close to others. We can't live this life independent of each other. God never intended that. We need each other, in fact, especially as Christians. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. What is this right? Well, Paul says, the things that were right that you said seem wrong when you fully understand this from God's perspective, they're right. It's okay to get married. It's okay to be intimate within marriage. And it's okay even to eat meat. Even meat offered to idols. It's okay. But be careful that this right of yours doesn't somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Verse 10 says this, For if anyone sees you who has this knowledge, this is a good knowledge, by the way. The knowledge that God gives you that you can see clearly and see with perspective and you can see that marriage is good, intimacy in marriage is good, meat is good for you. Even this good knowledge When people see you doing certain things, it may cause them to stumble. What are some of these things in today's world? You're like, okay, I get it, but these are not the kind of things that we struggle with today. In fact, 
We have a whole list of other struggles today, don't we? And one thing that you might consider are things like wine, alcohol. You might say to yourself, now it's a good debate. It's a lively debate, especially if you're from America. But is it right or wrong? Well, be careful, because Paul says, if you deem it right, and you just say, it's my right to have alcohol, what happens when someone who is a believer that struggles with alcohol, perhaps someone who has had a history of getting drunk, someone who's been fighting against it, and they see you, the guy who's supposed to have everything correct. <laughs> You're a leader in the church, perhaps. And yet, here you are in front of them, drinking wine, or even worse, it says, they see you, who have knowledge, eating in an idol's temple. Perhaps you're enjoying this wine in a local... Uh, Pub, yes. <laughs> I always hesitate. I get confused sometimes between what you say here and what you say in other places of the world. Okay. If, you, if you're here today and you find yourself this afternoon in a pub drinking wine, it would make a very interesting conversation to try and understand if that is completely right or completely wrong. The point that Paul is making is this. We do things that cause other people to stumble. We do things that cause other people to stumble. The question isn't the question of right and wrong. Although that is important. It is important. In fact, there are things that are right and wrong. That's why we have this book. There are absolute right and wrong. But Paul says, be careful that this right of yours doesn't cause someone else to stumble. How do we know what causes others to stumble? We don't know because we don't ask. This is the culture we live in. How often does someone sit you down over coffee and say, okay, how are you really going? What has been your struggle this last few weeks? How can we pray together and ask for God's help? listening with compassion, praying together, walking this life journey together. How often do we do that? We don't know. We don't know where people struggle, often. We don't even know we're causing a stumbling block. Paul goes on to say, 
anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, he will not be encouraged. If his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is not defiled. They actually destroyed. This is serious. This is serious. Paul's not saying that they lose their salvation. (laughs) Remember? Good news. Back earlier in the chapter, he has known us. We have been known by God. He's the one that began this good work. He's the one that will sustain it. He's the one that we treasure, we love, so that we can love others. But Paul says, be careful. Your faith can be shipwrecked. Your testimony for God and His glory can be lost in a moment. Perhaps more than anything, as I get older, what I recognize is how quickly life can change. In a moment, we can be traveling in our car and have an accident, just like that. We can be going in for a routine doctor's appointment and we have cancer. So many things in life are like this, including our reputation. We can be trusting God living a faithful life, and yet get caught up in something that we stumble and we fall. In fact, at the end of verse 11, Paul says, the brother for whom Christ died. These brothers and sisters that we have alongside of us in community, We call it the church, are there to help us, to point us back to God. And yet, these same brothers and sisters, we don't draw near to. We don't ask the hard questions. We don't know that they not only are defiled, they're actually going down a path of destruction. Three things this morning. Do you know God? Do you really know Him? He knows you. It should result in a love for God, a love for others. Secondly, do you know yourself? Do you know how prone you are to wander from the God you love? It happens quicker than we realize. And do you know others? 
Are you going towards others? Not coming to a quick judgment on what they're like and what, they, what their big issues are and how to pray for them. No, 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 no. Slowing down, hearing how they're really going. Do you know others? Well, Paul says this is very serious, not only for how it impacts us and our brothers and sisters and those outside of the church who don't even know Christ. But verse 12 says this, Thus, when you have this pattern in your life, you're sinning against your brothers, wounding their conscience when it is weak. In fact, you sin against Christ himself. Do we recognize when we turn away from him? Do we recognize when we turn away from fighting ourselves and give in to the the current that this world is so desperately desiring us to follow in? And do we recognize that it is a sin, a turning away from, a denying of Christ himself? It's a serious consequence. You could say to yourself, oh, it sounds a little bit grim this morning, Roger. (laughs) I thought this was good news. It is good news. It is good news. In fact, he has been known by God. God first loved us. We were his enemies. We wanted nothing to do with him. And yet he came, died on a cross to make it possible. He first loved us. May we turn back to him, acknowledge what he's done, trust him for the future, love him, love others. But this requires a plan. It doesn't just automatically happen. Have you ever said to yourself, oh, it's a new year, I'm going to read from cover to cover this book. And then come second week in January, you can't remember where you've left off. (laughs) Because it's been so long since you've picked it up. In fact, you realize you're still at the beginning. You need a plan. Verse 13 says, therefore. Why is therefore, therefore? (laughs) Well, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. We need to have a plan. How do we know where our brother and sister struggles? How are we going to get to know each other, so that we can love each other appropriately, graciously, recognizing that the things that we do naturally in our life that are right may be causing them 
to stumble, be defiled, or even be going down a road of destruction. We need to make a plan. We need to even be ready to cut some things out of our life. Good things. Good things. It doesn't say you need to cut all of these things out. But it says, do we consider it? We need a plan. We also need to recognize that despite our failings, God is faithful. Now this takes some time, and that's why we often have a weak conscience. We don't trust God because we don't believe He's faithful. And yet over time, as we see how God gives us the grace in the moment, almost like a waterfall, as John Piper describes, grace comes in the day when we need it, like a gift from God to help us to hold on for one more day. This grace washes over us cleanses us, renews our mind, and actually gathers in a reservoir where we can look back over time at God's faithfulness over and over again. God is faithful. We often don't remember or recognize it. In fact, as we see his faithfulness, we can see more clearly into the future, that there actually is an ocean of grace that God is willing to give if we would just stop and ask for help. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. This knowledge builds up. This knowledge is a rock It's an anchor. This is the God who not only speaks, he acts. This morning we're going to do things slightly different. We're going to actually follow this word of God by stopping and pausing and recognizing his faithfulness. To remember to proclaim afresh today his faithfulness, what he has done for us, his love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So this morning I'd like to transition to a time of communion. This is a time for us to stop and reflect. A time for us to see and be reminded afresh of God's faithfulness. To proclaim to one another what Christ has done in and through us so that we can love him, so that we can love one another.
So what I'd like to do is I'm going to have a prayer of confession, a time for us to reflect, and there'll be a song that's played when I'm done. And during that song, if you recognize this truth, this gospel, if you have turned and placed your faith and trust fully in Him, through His grace, for one more day, if you attend a church that preaches this same gospel, you, in fact, a member of that, you value that, in fact, you, you've actually publicly declared that through baptism. This truth, this life is yours. If this is your proclamation today, I would ask after I pray that we would have just a moment perhaps of silence and then as a song begins, I'd invite you to go to the back, grab a cup, piece of bread, return to your seats, and then I will bring uh, a passage in 1 Corinthians 11, and we will take together. So in preparation for this, let me pray a prayer of confession and a chance for us to pause and turn back to this God we serve. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for reminding us afresh today. Help us to know, to know you. Help us to know and recognize our own proneness to wander. Help us to recognize we need to have a plan as we reach out to one another as we build each other up in love. Lord, I, I come to you and I confess I often look to something or someone else. Lord, I confess that I often add to this truth, this gospel, things that seem right but have drifted away from you. Lord, purify my heart. Renew my mind. Help me to identify specific sins in my life. Help me to fight against them. Help me to help others fight. Lord, it's not a list of sins. I have not done. It's not a list of virtues that I pursue. No, it's not a list of those I'm not like that can earn a, myself a place with you. Oh, God of mercy, of mercy, who is merciful to me, I am a sinner through and through. My only hope of righteousness 
is not in me, but only you. Lord, in this next couple of moments, Lord, help us, help us to see. Help us to remember. Help us to proclaim for our good, for your glory. Amen.